be reading Exodus chapter 12, verses 28 through 51. Grass withers and the flower fades. I think in this case, literally. Um, But the word of our God endures forever. Then the people of Israel went and did so. As the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne, to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, Up, get out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go. Serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds, as you have said, and be gone. And bless me also. The Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste, for they said, We shall all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading bowls being bound up in their cloaks on their shoulders. And the people of Israel had done Also, as Moses had told them, for they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, that they let them have what they asked. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. And the people of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Sukkoth, about 600,000 men on foot, besides women and children. And mixed multitude also went up with them, and very much livestock, both flocks and herds. And they baked unleavened cakes of the dough that they had brought out of Egypt, for it was not leavened, because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not wait, nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. The time that the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of 430 years, on that very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. It was a night of watching by the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So this same night is a night of watching kept to the Lord by all the people of Israel throughout their generations. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, This is the statute of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat of it. But every slave that is bought for money may eat of it after you have circumcised him. No foreigner or hired worker may eat of it. It shall be eaten in one house. You shall not take any of its flesh outside the house, and you shall not break any of its bones. All the congregation of Israel shall keep it. If a stranger shall sojourn with you and would keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised. Then he may come near and keep it. He shall be as a native of the land. But no uncircumcised person shall eat of it. There shall be one law for the native and for the stranger who sojourns among you. All the people of Israel did just as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. And on that very day, the Lord brought the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their hosts. Sends the reading of the Lord's word. Uh, Let's pray and ask him to bless it this morning. Father in heaven, we ask that you would uh, teach us who you are through this passage. We ask that you would reveal to us everything that you have done and are willing to do, and that you would stir our hearts, Lord, to walk by faith, that we would be willing to do anything for you. Grow us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So there's a question that sticks in the back of the mind of, of people who do not believe the Bible. 
and there's lots of questions, obviously, lots of uh, things that they will uh, wonder about. But one of them is, is, why does the Lord go to such incredible lengths to get Israel out of Egypt? Right, we've just spent the last, I don't know, how many months has it been? We've been in Exodus, reading about these plagues and all the incredible things that the Lord has done simply to bring Israel out of Egypt. Uh, we've seen God do incredible things. But why does he do it for a bunch of slaves? Why does God go to such incredible lengths for a people who are poor and needy and don't really have anything to offer him? What's so special about Israel? It's far easier to believe that Israel made up all these stories so that they could feel special about themselves, so that they could tell themselves that they're special and unique. That's easier to believe. But I think that if you're a parent, this makes perfect sense. Everything that God does makes perfect sense. Because is there anything that you would not do for your kids? Maybe there's bad things that you wouldn't do for them, right? But is there anything good that you would withhold from them? Of course not. Because they're your kids. And I know the kids are rolling their eyes and say, well, my parents say no to me all the time and they don't let me have the things I want. Well, yes, no, they don't give you bad things, right? I don't let Solo drink coffee in the mornings. That's not because I don't love him. It's because I do love him and I don't want him to uh, literally be bouncing off the walls. If I let him, right, I'd be a bad dad. It's because I love my children, my kids, my kid, that I do the things I do. And the same thing with God. Israel is his child. And he would do anything for them. And there is no good thing that he would withhold from his children. Back in Exodus 4, the Lord said to Moses, Say to Pharaoh, Israel is my firstborn son. So everything that follows is what the Lord is doing for his children. And so what we see in this passage at the culmination, right, this, is, this is the climax of the story as Israel is finally brought out of Egypt. This passage shows us everything that God is willing to do for his people. In fact, it shows us that God is willing to do anything for his people. But we don't just learn that God is a good father. We also see in this passage uh, that there's a Israel, because of what God has done, they become a people who are willing to do anything for him, too. We will see a people who are moved by faith. And not by sight. And we will see the good that comes from a heart of faith. That it is a blessing when people walk by faith and not by sight. So here's, here's the main point to summarize. The Lord is willing to do anything for his people. So his people should be willing to do anything for him. And that leads to their good. The Lord is willing to do anything for his people. And so his people should be willing to do anything for him, and that leads to their good. 
So I want you to think back again to all the signs that we have looked at in these past few chapters. How the Lord has turned water to blood. He's pulled frogs and flies and gnats and locusts and hail and darkness. All these incredible acts and plagues. Through it all, the Lord was incredibly clear what he wants. Let my people go that they may serve me. Let my people go. Israel belongs to him. And everything that he's been doing, he is doing to release them from slavery so that they may go and serve him. Over and over and over again in these chapters, we've seen the Lord say to Pharaoh, let my people go that they may serve me. But Pharaoh, again and again and again, we've seen refuse to let Israel go. And why? Because he cannot let go of his pride. He refuses to surrender his pride and let Israel go. And this has led to our passage today, which is the final climactic confrontation between God and Pharaoh. It's like a staring contest between Pharaoh and God. Who's going to blink? But the stakes are incredibly high. Verses 29 and 30. At midnight... The Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on the throne to the firstborn of the captive who is in the dungeon and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt. For there was not a house where someone was not dead. Those are hard verses to read. Because the author has just described every parent's worst nightmare. Waking up and finding your child dead. Of course there was a great cry in Egypt. This is the worst night in their lives. But before we're tempted to start questioning God, before we start saying, well, how could God do this? Notice that This is the shortest description of a plague that we have seen in Exodus so far. Even frogs got more screen time than this. And there's a reason for that. And I think the reason is because it shows us how stark this is. We're struck by it and how short it is. But I think it's also so short because the Lord does not take pleasure in this. Before we're tempted to believe that God is bloodthirsty, that God is, is a horrible, angry God, God takes no pleasure in this. The point is that this is where sin leads. Not God's sin, but Pharaoh's sin. Pharaoh gambled his people's lives. Because God told Pharaoh, back in chapter 4, if you do not let my firstborn son go, I will take your firstborn son. God warned him. And then God gave Pharaoh every opportunity to turn back. Over and over and over again, the Lord said, I will give you another chance. Let my people go. And if you don't, here's what will happen. 
But the wages of sin is death. And nowhere do we see this more clearly than here. Because this is where Pharaoh's sin has led. And let's not forget that it was not God who commanded that all of the Israelite children be drowned in the river. Back in Exodus 1, that was Pharaoh. And it was Pharaoh's people who carried it out. He treated Israel like cattle. And his people carried it out. He treated them like possessions and whipped them and beat them when they didn't fulfill his incredible demands. And his people carried it out. The Lord said, if you do not stop, here's what will happen. And they did not stop. But even as we're struck with how horrible this night is and how awful the consequences of sin is, do not lose sight of why the Lord does this. Yes, it's to judge sin. But it's also so that Israel, his people, might be freed from Pharaoh. God was willing to do what it takes to save his child. And we see that the Lord doesn't just save them, but he goes the next step. He goes above and beyond for his people. Look at verses 35 and 36. The people of Israel had also done as Moses had told them, for they asked the Egyptians for silver and gold and for clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so that they let them have what they asked. Notice that it is the Lord who gives in this verse. It's intentional with all the grammar that the author wants us to know that it's God who gives. And notice that Israel asks for these things. They do not demand. They do not steal. They do not loot. They don't take by force. Instead, they ask. And the Egyptians give. Why is that important? I think it's important because the Egyptians are not really giving to Israel. I think when they give up gold and clothing and silver, what they're doing is they're giving tribute to God. They're honoring God. But because God loves his children, he shares that honor with Israel. So even, th- even though Israel is not the conquerors, they are not the ones who have conquered Egypt. They get to share in the spoils because of God. Because the Lord, even though he's the one who deserves it, gives it to his people. And through it all, I want you to look down to verse 42. It was a night of watching by the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt. To put it another way, I think this verse is is kind of saying, in a sense, God stays up all night to make sure that his children are safe. God is willing to do anything for his people. 
He's willing to do what it takes to save them. He's willing to share what he deserves to those who do not deserve it. Because he loves them. And he's willing to stay up all night to make sure they're safe. God is a good father who's willing to do anything for his children. But now I want you to imagine being in Israel's position. Right? Imagine waking up in the middle of the night with rough hands right, grabbing you and saying, Get out. Go. Get out of here. Leave. Verse 33. The Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste. Right? They, they wake them up and they push them out of the doors and say, Get out of here. Go. Get out of here. Leave. And all, all that you have time to grab, right? As in all this commotion and everything happening, all you have time to grab is some cookware and your sourdough starter. Right? Verse 34. So the people took their dough before it was leavened and their kneading bowls being bound up in their cloaks on their shoulders. That's all they have time to grab. And even with all of that, they, they have no time, right, to even make a snack for the road. They have no time to grab water, to grab food or provisions. Right? Verse 36, or sorry, um, verse uh, 39. And they baked unleavened cakes of the dough they had brought out of Egypt, for it was not leavened, because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not wait, nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. Right? Imagine being in that situation, woken up, shoved at the door, you have to leave everything that you've ever known. All you have is some sourdough starter, an eating bowl, and your family. And you are thrust into the wilderness and the desert with nothing. No food, no provisions. Right? They're headed out into the desert with just a few things that they could grab on their way. But they go. Right? Israel goes. Why? Because they trust God. Twice, the text takes the time to tell us that Israel obeyed everything the Lord commanded. This is why we read verse 28 uh, this morning as well. Verse 28 says, And the people of Israel went and did so as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. And then verse 50, The beginning and the end, all the people of Israel did just as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. It's not simply that Israel goes grudgingly, or Israel goes shaking and wondering if they're ever going to you know, if they're going to be okay. They go with faith. They go obeying. They go trusting God. They go because they're willing to do anything for the God who is willing to do anything for them. They know that God is willing to do anything for them. And so that produces faith in their hearts that then they are willing to do anything for him even to go into the wilderness with no food. Leaving behind everything that they've ever known. And then they celebrate this night. Right, verse 42, it was a night of watching by the Lord to keep them out of the land of Egypt, uh, to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So this same night is a night of watching kept to the Lord by all the people of Israel throughout their generations. Right? The Lord does this for them. And in faith, 
they do things for the Lord. In gratitude, they keep this night to the Lord as a night of watching. To remind themselves that because of everything that God has done for them, they can trust Him. And they can do anything for Him. Now I also want you to notice verse 38. That as the people of Israel leave Egypt... Right? An incredibly huge amount of people. Right? An almost astronomical number. Like 600,000 uh, uh, Israelites, and that's not even counting women and children. Right? A number that would just be unfathomable. And to imagine all that number of people leaving in one night, it's hard. But the point is that there's so many people. It's huge. That God is redeeming not a small number, but a huge number of people. But along with these people, right, verse 38, a mixed multitude also went up with them. This means that not only were Israelites being rescued out of the land of Egypt, but non-Israelites as well. Other peoples. We don't know who they are. Right? We're not told. It's not really important. What's important is that they are not Israelites, and yet they are also rescued. And I think that's vital for two reasons. The first reason is because the Exodus is the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham. It's not the entire fulfillment. There's a lot more to come. But God did promise to Abraham that his descendants would be enslaved in Egypt for four generations. And then God would rescue them. And that this people would be a blessing to the nations. And this is the beginning of that blessing. That a people who are not numbered among God's people are blessed simply because they are attached to the people of God. There is great blessing in being attached to God's people. As shown by the fact that non-Israelites receive freedom from slavery. But I think there's a second reason why God pulls out that this, there's this mixed multitude because it forces us to ask a question. Are these non-Israelites also considered God's people? Is this mixed multitude also considered part of God's people? And jump down to verse 43. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, This is the statute of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat of it. So the short answer is no. There is blessing in being attached to God's people. But that doesn't make you one of God's people. So what does? Verse 48. If a stranger shall sojourn with you and would keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised. Then he may come near and keep it, and he shall be as a native of the land. In other words, here's how you become one of God's people. Commit yourself to God. Because this act of circumcision is an outward expression of a heart of faith. 
that as these people go with Israel, they see the Lord, they see everything that God has done, and they say, I want to worship and be attached to this God. I want this God to be my God. And so they become circumcised and they circumcise their family. And they, be treated, they become a native of the land. They become one of God's people. See, it's, it's faith that drives people to follow God into the wilderness. It's faith that drives people to obey God. And it's faith that drives them to carry the sign of commitment of circumcision in their flesh. To yoke themselves to God. That's faith. Because faith is not a work. The circumcision is not a work. It's not a box to check. Faith is a heart that says, I will do anything for my God because He has done everything for me. Faith is a heart that says, I will do anything for my God because He has done everything for me. And when we walk by faith and not by sight, We are blessed. Not because it's a formula. Not because it's do this to get this result. Have faith and you'll be healed. Have more faith and you'll get the the, the Bugatti. Have more faith and you'll get the job you want. You move to the place you want, you'll marry the woman you want to marry. She'll be really cute. Like If you just had enough faith, you'd get all the desires of your heart. That's That's not how it works. Because the heart of faith says, all the desires of my heart are God. Everything else is in his hands. Because that's the heart of Israel going into the wilderness. All we need is God. We don't need provisions. We don't need to take everything we own. We don't need to make sure that we have a plan for the wilderness. We just need God. And we will have everything we need. And the good that comes from that, when we walk by faith, is we come to have peace. A peace that drives us to walk into the wilderness, trusting God. A peace that drives us to obey the Lord, not because we want to earn something from Him, but simply because we love Him. A peace that drives us to commit ourselves and our families and everything we have to God. Because it's worth everything that we have to give to Him. The problem is that we don't always have that heart of faith, do we? We have faith when it's easy. We have faith when we have the things that we think we need. But when we don't see what we think we need that's when it gets hard it gets hard when we have to go into the wilderness and we have to go quickly and we don't have time to prepare and we think that well this must be a mistake we think that suffering is a mistake that God has made That either God wants bad things to happen to you, or clearly you don't have enough faith 
to get good things. That's where our minds go. But that's not faith talking. That's the devil talking. Because the devil wants you to believe that God does not love you like a good father. The devil does not want you to believe that God will do anything for you. And that he will not withhold any good thing from you. Faith clings to who God is. It clings to the fact that he will do anything. And if we needed any more proof than the Exodus, God gives us even more proof. Because the God who was willing to kill the firstborn of Pharaoh was also willing to kill his own firstborn. He was so willing to do anything for you, he was willing to die. He was willing to go through that same nightmare that Egypt experienced. It's all the pain that those Egyptian fathers and mothers experienced the night of the Exodus. God experienced that too when he lost his son on the cross. But he willingly gave up his son and Jesus willingly went to the cross because he was willing to do anything to save you from your sin and from death. God knew the price and he paid it willingly. So to close this morning, the Christian life looks a lot like the Exodus. We're redeemed from slavery by the death of the firstborn and we are thrust suddenly into a long wilderness pilgrimage. We have a promise A place we are headed, a land that God has said is yours, but you're not there yet. In the meantime, the journey will be hard. You will not always have everything that you think you need. You will sometimes wonder where your food will come from tomorrow. You will wonder if you will have anything tomorrow. Where will you live? What will you eat? But through it all, God calls us to have that heart of faith that trusts him. That if he was willing to give up his own son on the cross, how much more will he give you every good thing through Jesus Christ our Lord? And when you walk by faith, you will have peace. Peace that tomorrow is in God's hands. Because Jesus Christ is alive forevermore. I'd like to invite the elders forward so that we can partake of the Lord's Supper this morning. And so that we can taste and see everything that God has prepared for us in the wilderness. Let's pray. God in heaven, we thank you again. We praise you for all that you have done for us. And we ask that as we go out this morning, that you would increase our hearts, that we might willingly do anything for you because of all that you've done for us. We ask that you would give us peace, that we would not be people who are anxious or worried or fearful, that you might banish it all by the knowledge that you are enough, 
that if you have given us your son, you will give us all things that are good for us because you're a good father. We praise you, Lord, and we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.